Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new bracket America. America. Soccer new. Featuring person Talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode number 114 of Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. Hello! There's my daughter, dearest, 10 years old and always so excited to help me in lots of ways. Countdown duties, plus she's going to have uh, be in charge of something related to our World Cup preview or lack thereof. You'll find out. We're also going to do food. We're going to do fashion. Okay, we're not going to do fashion. That wouldn't make much sense in an audio format, but we are going to do a whole lot of match mini previews stuff from all around the world top two matchups from leagues from any country big or small any confederation if the match is important where it's being played there's a pretty darn good chances on our radar and yes we will be covering turn any tournament action that involves national teams as well this week our matches are going to be Friday through Thursday, as always. This time, the dates are 12, 16 through 22. With no further ado, let's just dive right in with... March number one! You know what could really irk a noob? It's the fact that everybody seems to be calling this an international break just because the Men's World Cup is going on. If you've been listening to this show in recent weeks, you know that this month is not a month off for much of the world, especially on the women's side of the ball. After all, the European Champions League is going on for the gals. They are still in their group stage. We're heading into match round number five of six. There are 16 teams left alive. They've been divided into four groups of four. They're playing a double round robin in each group, and the top two will advance to the knockout round. The shiniest face-off to us looked like number B out of group B, Roma, taking on number three, St. Poulton. I hope I'm getting that right, by the way, in the Austrian-German. Sometimes I see it as O-E, sometimes it's just an O, and sometimes there's an umlaut thrown in just for a little extra spice, I guess. In any case, Austria. Now, the number one team in this group is Wolfsburg out of the Frauen Bundesliga in Germany, and they have already mathematically locked up a knockout round spot, but that does not mean that they have won the title yet for the group. They have not, and where you finish matters for seeding and who you're going to play next in the knockout round. Roma are just three points back, and then your uh, heavy underdogs today, to be perfectly honest, St. Poulton have five. Slavia Prague round out the group. They've already been mathematically eliminated. Last two te- the last time, rather, that these two faced off here in the group stage in Austria, it was quite the shootout. Roma came out on top three to four. You can catch this on DAZN USA, 1245 Eastern Time. If the spirit moves you to do so, and as well it should, we'll talk about Roma first as hosts. Very young club, founded in 2018. Congratulations to them. This is their first Champions League appearance, and it would seem that they are headed on to the knockout round. They are known as the She-Wolf, singular, that is a nod 
to the mythological founding of the city. I'm not sure if organizationally they're truly connected to the men's club. I know that they don't play in the same stadium. They end up having to have their matches at a rugby stadium that holds about 4,000 people called uh, Trey Fontane. Serie A is the fifth ranked league in all of Europe for the gals. They qualified for this event by finishing in second place last year. They had to enter in the first of the two qualifying rounds. They beat Sparta Prague in the second qualifying round, two to six on aggregate. Here in the group stage, their offense has been pretty darn good, but the defense eh, been a bit spotty. They're giving up a full two goals per match on average, which is the reason I think we could see another shootout as these two face off once again. Top 10 event scorer for them is Valentina Giacinti. She plays forward. She's got three goals already, 50 national team caps since 2015. She's also in the top five in scoring in Serie A as well. Team's current form, well, they've actually lost two straight games across a couple of competitions with a 4-8 and eight goal differential. So other teams are finding back the back of the net. Poulton would like to do the same. By the way, that is the same as the name of the city from which they played, so the northeast central part of Austria, probably a little bit under 60,000 people. The club is interestingly named for Hippolytus, the Christian theologian of Rome from uh, around the 2nd, 3rd century A.D., now, a lot of people think that's what he was most famous for, but really on top of his, some of his very interesting doctrinal ideas, it turns out that he had the highest metabolism of anybody in uh, the church in kind of West Central Europe at that time. He was hungry, was Hippolytus. Oh, so hungry. That's a bad joke, and I won't apologize. I loved that game growing up. The crest is a really, really interesting one and a little bit disturbing, to be perfectly honest. It appears that there is a yellow traditional shield-shaped uh, crest underneath what is in the foreground, which I would describe as a uh, graffiti-esque painting, almost a stamp of a feral dog or cat's head, and it's got a horn on top. I don't think it's a wolf. Could be anything, not sure, but it was uh, eye-catching to say the very least. The club was founded in 2006. Last year, they played in the Champions League, fell out in the first qualifying round. 2016 is the best they've ever done. Made the round of 16 that year. They play out of the 11th ranked league in all of Europe, which is the OFB Frauenliga, as opposed to the Frauen Bundesliga in Germany. So consider this the other white meat, if you will. They qualified for this event as league champions last year, had to enter at the first qualifying round. They just snuck out of the second qualifying round and into the group stage. They beat Finnish side KUPS 3-2 on aggregate, but it took added extra time in that second game. The offense hasn't been real great, but the defense is the serious bugaboo. They're, uh, they're worst in the group in that regard, and they've got the worst goal differential. They give up over two goals per outing. Currently in league play, they are in first place with a perfect 9-0-0 record. I'm not 100% sure on this. I'm not, uh, the sources I found, I don't know how often they're being updated, but I believe that their scoring leader is Matea Sever. She's got five on the year, it would seem. She's a Slovenian midfielder veteran, 34 years old. Looks like she spent the majority of her senior career over at Thor slash KA, which is a team in Iceland. Got to be an interesting place to be playing spot soccer and spending so many years. Team's current form, their last match was against last place Slavia Grob, uh, Prague here in the group, and that got played to a draw one-to-one. -one. Match number B. 
You heard me use it in match number one with number B, Roma, and that was no fluke, no misspeaking. We don't believe in the phrase number two. Ugh, bathroom talk. Let's all strive to be more couth. Listen to it once again in action. Match number B comes to us from the Premier League of the African country of Angola, which is the seventh ranked league in all of the CAF, and thusly they get to Champions League berths, as do all of the top 12 rated leagues in the continent. They're almost halfway through the season there, and your matchup, it is a dandy. Could we have a changing of the guard? Probably not, but it's looking interesting so far. Number B in the table, Willyette, taking on number one in the historical powerhouse, Petro de Luanda. Uh, currently, uh, Petro, they lead Willyette by one. Now, Willyette in turn lead Sagrada Esperance by six, and Primero de Augusto by seven. Now that's quite a gap, but make no mistake, those two teams are the other two major teams uh, in the country from the in the handful of years that I've really been following world football, and I have a feeling that they're going to narrow that gap before too terribly long. Worth noting, by the way, that actually Primero de Augusta have four matches in hand against all the other clubs around them, and they are undefeated. So there seems little doubt to me that they are at the very least going to get in the mix. So this is a really key match for these two. The stakes are high. Willie Etza talking about them first as hosts. I never did find out in the couple of minutes I did researching what exactly Willie Etza was. Now, my guess is just based on how these things tend to be in other countries. It's either the last name of a founder of the club or perhaps a little bit more likely a district or neighborhood within the city from which they play, which is Benguela. Now that is a West Central coastal city of about 600,000. It is a major trade center for agricultural products. Pretty big port city as well, although if memory serves, the much larger port is probably just like uh, an hour's drive north of there. Uh, History majors might know this name well, though. It was a major point in the slave trade a couple centuries back uh, when they were getting moved to Brazil and Cuba very specifically from this area. Now, footy-wise, club is a young one, founded in 2018. I don't think they were supposed to start in the top division, or maybe they played their first division year there. But I know that in 2019, they got promoted to the first division, not by merit, but just because there was some room when a top-flight team called Benfica do Lubango got excluded. They probably self-relegated or folded for financial reasons, is my guess. I love the coloring of the kit. It is a bold, deep grass green home kit that they play in. And then even their away kit, while it's white, it has some major shadings like under the sleeve and some other edgings of that same green. It's just great. Last year, this team finished in 11th place, and I think that that is a little bit more typical for them. So they're in rarefied errors. They're very well balanced here. It's not a very high-scoring league. Top three offense and defense. They get one and a half goals per match give up a little bit over a half goal per match. And so far, their goal differential would say that they are right where they belong. They're not there by a fluke, second best in that regard. Team's current form, 3-0-1 in their last four, although can uh, harbor a little skepticism here on how they might do because they haven't kept any clean sheets in the last three. And uh, Petro, they know how to score. They know how to do everything. They've won 16 league titles historically, and they are your defending league champions. That title was the first one they'd actually won since 2009, though. 
they got all the way to the semifinals of the Champions League this year. Not sure that that's the very best they've ever done, but obviously it's got to be pretty darn close. They've got the best offense in the league, getting almost two per match, then have a top two defense to go with it. They have one two. Uh, they have one two straight, and their only loss of the season so far was to. I'll bet you can guess because they haven't played this team. Yeah, undefeated Primero de Augusto. Match number three. This match is where we would be doing our World Cup final preview. Except, are we going to do a World Cup final preview? No. Now you already gave your prediction, uh, and France is still alive. You had predicted that they were going to uh, beat Portugal, I believe, uh, by a score of like seven to four or three to one. You gave two possibilities, but in fact, it's going to be France and Argentina, a country that is very near and dear to your heart, isn't it? A specific region of Patagonia, and we're going to talk about it and one of their amazing kinds of inhabitants. Yeah. Yeah. What are they called? Penguins. What kind of penguins? Mm, I don't know Magellan? Magellanic penguins, yeah. Yeah, we didn't talk about that when you you were uh, really, really little when you first became aware of Patagonia, although you weren't even knowing what Patagonia was. You just thought it was a cool word that Daddy made up, didn't you? Yeah, I have a penguin in Patagonia. Yeah, a stuffed stuffed penguin, we should be sure to mention. Because something that I learned while helping you get set up for this is that actually the majority of types of the 20 some odd kinds of penguins that are out there don't live in Antarctica, do they? No, they live all over uh, the Atlantic Ocean and South America. And there's even a variety they're up uh, around the Galapagos Islands, way north of the equator. How on earth do they get that far, do you think, or why? Well, it turns out that there is a huge uh, cold water, uh, let's call it a stream, if you will, current that happens to go up that direction and specifically to it around those islands. And that keeps the water cold enough for the penguins. So that's kind of weird. And then some penguins just get lost. They've been spotted as far north, uh, kind of on mainland continental uh, land as uh, El Salvador. But that's not a place they regularly inhabit. They like Patagonia in Argentina, specifically the Magellanic penguins. So since you are now aware of Patagonia as you've gotten older and love this type of penguin, which we just learned is sort of the iconic coastal penguin of southern coastal South America, Let's talk a little bit about them. First, why are they named the Magellanic Penguin? Who are they named for? Um, they were named Ferdinand Magellan. Yeah, Magellan. Magellan. Yeah, it's hard to know which and fastest to put on the right syllable, isn't it? Yeah, he did that all the way back in what year? 1520. Yeah, so obviously he wasn't the first person ever to see a Magellanic Penguin, but they are named for him just the same. Uh, now, are they super duper endangered? No. What are they? What is their status? They will rule the world someday. Oh, so not only are they not in danger, but they're going to rule the world. Well, I for one will welcome our new penguin overlords. Now, one of the notes I found says that they are of what is called least concern. Uh, according to the international body that tracks like endangered species and gives them these labels. But I've seen other things that does, that uh, indicate that their population is declining and gives them some other statuses, if not quite endangered proper. 
And about how big do these penguins get to be? Are they really big or really small? They're really small. They get about to two and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. And what do they weigh typically? About ten pounds. I can hold eight of them. <laughs> you could hold eight penguins. I wish you luck with that someday. They might wiggle a little bit. I think you could only hold seven. Oh. And about how old do they live to get? Twenty-five years. Yep. And then they don't tend to find their food in the land on the land or on the ice, do they? Where do they go? Deep into the sea. Yeah, what's the deepest they can go typically? 160 feet. That is a long way. And something I'll add in is that where they are, they don't experience a food shortage uh, because of the long continental shelf of southern South America where they are. So that gives them lots of space uh, where the water doesn't get over 160 feet deep. And that's plenty of uh, space for them to forage or hunt for their food. Now, what's one really weird thing that they like to eat? They like to eat jellyfish. Right. Yeah. Would you eat a jellyfish sandwich? What is that from? There was an episode of some show. Uh, my favorite episode is the Thundermans. Oh, the Thunder. Oh, that's right. The big, the big one where they fight. They go to Hawaii, right? Where they go to Hawaii yeah. and they turn to evil. Uh, and then one of them is, yeah, I like to order a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Hey, we're out of jelly, so it's peanut butter and jellyfish. Yeah, it looked pretty gross, and I'm sure it is pretty gross. And in fact, uh, scientists used to think that they only occasionally ingested jellyfish on accident, but it turns out they eat them on purpose and apparently uh, find them really, really tasty. But there are only something like three other species of penguins that eat them. I don't know if that's because the jellyfish don't live in the area where a lot of the other ones are, or if uh, maybe only these particular ones happen to like the taste of jellyfish. Maybe it's kind of like pineapple on pizza, right? It's not for everybody. But is it for us? Yeah. Pineapple on pizza? What about jellyfish on pizza? No, that ruined it. All right, tell me about when they lay eggs. Um, they lay eggs. Uh, mothers lay eggs, uh, but uh, like two at a time. Exactly two at a time, yeah. And who sits on them, the mommy or the daddy? Both. Yeah, they not at the same time though, right? No. Right, and then they leave the colony after they're hatched, and they come back the same season. And while the penguins might all look alike to us, they can tell one from another, can't they? Mm -hmm. The same mommy and daddy get together, and do they even need to see each other before they know? Nope. How else do they know? Uh, they can, uh, like, the noises. That's right, the calls that they make. Now, what are some of the things that are dangerous to these penguins? Oh, uh, when people get too close. Yeah, do you remember what happens when people get too close? We talked about it a little bit yesterday. It makes it, it makes them release a certain chemical that can uh, weaken them. Yeah, it hinders their muscle development, their immune system, and their growth. That's if a person gets too close specifically to a baby chick. It totally stresses them out and puts that chemical in their blood. I don't remember the name of the chemical, do you? It was really, really long. What else can hurt them? Oil spills. Oh, that's a people thing. Yuck. And what else? Climate change. Yeah, no. Does climate change directly hurt the penguins? Uh, no. It makes the fish that they eat, like, run away. Yeah, well, or swim away. If fish are running, then, I, then there's fish that are going to be ruling the world. And I, for one, will welcome our new fish overlords. I don't care who's in charge as long as somebody's making some kind of rules. No anarchy. That's what I think. No penguins. Yeah, they have to go a lot farther for their food because the fish have moved and they're uh, a little bit stubborn and not migrating quite as quickly. And just because they have to go, how far do they have to go for their food, by the way, sometimes? As much as 50 miles. Yeah, that takes a long time, which means that 
the the kids, the mommy, nobody's eating quite as often, and that lowers their uh, that uh, their mortality rate or makes it worse. I should say, not as many penguins survive. Now there is an area in Argentina, a province, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Do you? Yeah, C H U B U T, and they made something called a a marine protected area. That's right. It is near the biggest breeding quality uh, quality, <laughs> the nearest breeding colony in the entire world for these near an area called Punta Tombo. That's right, and because of that, uh, they don't have to go as they have more food. What else? Oh, they have more food. And shorter trips to catch food, and they get to eat more often. That's right. So these are really cool special penguins, aren't they? Yeah. And one of the coolest things about them and how they look is they have their two uh, like black stripes. bands across their chest. We didn't see any. We looked at a lot of penguins, and we didn't see any other ones like that, did we? No. So they were very pretty. It's like they have their own crest, kind of like a soccer club. Okay, well, maybe not exactly like a soccer club, but definitely something very broadly physical that helps define them, yep. helps people know what kind of penguin they are. So um, who is it out there that is trying to help these penguins? I'm sure there are lots of people, but who did we want to talk about? The World Conservation Society. They've been working for over 30 years to protect these specific uh, kind of penguins in Patagonia. Yeah, I think they may still have something called the Penguin Project. When I went to the site, I wasn't there real long. I didn't find any specific uh, details on the Penguin Project, but I just might have misgoogled if that's a word. Regardless, uh, this is a, something that I believe is based in New York, but they do work around the world, including to help these penguins. Please consider visiting their website for more about them and how you can help. So should we say that today's broadcast is uh, brought to you by uh, the World Conservation Society, or should we say it's brought to people by the Magellanic Penguin, or both? Both. And, both. All, and Subway, because we can never forget Subway. <laughs> never forget Subway, people! I actually did forget Subway, oh! but you mentioned that every time I mentioned sponsorships. Okay. We are not sponsored by, by Subway, though. Uh, Subway. We will sponsor Subway. We'll tell everybody to eat fresh until they absolutely burst at the seams if it will earn us any sort of quan that you're willing to give us. Well, person, who, thank somewhere. you very much for telling us all about uh, your favorite penguin. Well, I don't know you have several penguins. I don't know if it's your very favorite, but it had the cool hat. I gave it the name Patagonia, and now you know. And now, yeah, I had the winter hat had, on it. It had a blue hat with a fuzzy plum. And then it had a blue orange beak. It was really cute. Oh, that was, is. We found him. That's what recently yeah, prompted you to learn. Me to learn. Yeah. He's resting. He's resting. He had to go yeah, here where we live. He had to go a lot uh, further than 50 miles to probably get his most recent meal, unless we were getting him jellyfish sandwiches. That's sad. It is sad. But what's not sad is badgeletic penguins. They are. The majestic Magellanic yeah. penguins, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. All right, Pinoob, thank you so much for helping me out. And now let's dive back into the soccer with match, match number four. four. Don't have to travel very far for our next final. We're headed now to Guatemala. Top flight, they're also called the Liga Nacional. Apertura final, second leg of the home and away two-legged tie. Sound familiar? Yeah, they use a lot of the same formatting down there. This is considered the fifth-ranked CONCACAF league by the source that I use. Your matchup, it's the top two once again for the regular season. Number one, Antigua GFC playing host to number B, Coban Imperial. 
Now, at the time that I scouted this, uh, the result from leg one isn't known. So unfortunately, we don't know exactly what the landscape is going to look like. But hey, it's going to be the second leg of a final. You should try to find it online. During the regular season, they each got home wins. Antigua won 2-0. And Coban, they got a 3-1 win. Antigua, that city is in the South Central Highlands of the country. About 50,000 people there. Big coffee growing area, a lot of general agriculture. It's the most important region of the country in that regard. But the biggest uh, economic thing that they have going on is the tourism. And something that I never knew is a lot of these coffee plantations allow you to take uh, pretty in-depth tours. I would love to get in on one of those sometime. Just sounds unique. They have a number of different nicknames. They are known as the Green Bellies based on one of their primary colors on their home kits. Also, the Colonials and the Avocado Producers. They play out of Estadio Pensativo, which has a capacity of about 10,000. Now, I can't say this is a complete surprise that they're here, but this is a bit of a yo-yo team just in terms of being in the top flight consistently in recent years. When they're in the league, they actually tend to do pretty okay. To get back into Division One, they actually bought somebody else's license, though. Back in 2014, I want to say it was the Jaguares of some city that begins with H. I've talked about it before and can't remember now. I just think it's cool that you don't have to earn your way in by merit. You can just buy somebody's license in that country and say, well, we'll take it from here. Thanks. They've won four league titles. 2019, Clausura was the most recent one. 2016-17, they got to play in the CONCACAF Champions League and did qualify for the group stage. They've made two CONCACAF League appearances. Best they've done there, round of 16, 2020. The last completed stage that played last year's Clausura, they just finished in sixth place in the regular season. That barely qualified them for the playoffs, and they dipped out in the very first round, the quarterfinals. This stage, however, they won the regular season by two over Coban. The defense, at least for this league, is not all that great. It's not a very high-scoring league. They give up one and a quarter goals per match. But they separate themselves with their offense. They're the only team scoring over uh, twice per outing. They got the number one goal differential by a factor of two and a half. Tied for number one in league scoring for them with a dozen on the stage, Lucas Gomez, veteran, 35 years old, spent his whole career in Latin America except, and again, it's another odd case of people traveling for a brief time, and it makes me wonder why. He made 14 appearances um, right in the middle of his career for an Azerbaijani club called Nefchi Baku. Go figure. Team's current form, they've won three straight matches with a 4 and old goal differential, so their defense is on. And now Coban, that's in the central part of the country, very high altitude city. And so it is the biggest and best purely coffee growing area, about 200,000 people there. The city name means between clouds in the local native language. That just sounds heavenly. Now, coffee is the big thing there now, but I'm a bit of a geography and general trivia nerd. Something that's being pushed there, uh, declining sale prices are keeping this from overtaking coffee probably is the biggest money maker. But the product they might be producing and exporting the most of is something called African palm oil. They're growing a lot of the trees there for that. The climate is just right. There's a lot of foreign entities really pushing for that to be produced hard. 
All right, back to the pitch. They are known as the Blue Princes. And just like Antigua, they're a bit of a yo-yo team. They've been in Division I this particular stretch since 2015, though. They've only ever won the league title once before, and that was way back in 2004. They took the Clausera stage trophy. They just finished in fifth place in last year's Clausura regular season. And again, like their opponents today, they fell out in the quarterfinals, the opening round. Their defense is a little bit below average as far as the ordinal ranking, but things are pretty tight there. They do have the second-best offense going, though not nearly as good as Antigua's. And unless they got a big win at home in the first stage uh, or the first leg of this two-legged home-and-away tie, I think, Coburn, are you going to be your moderate to heavy underdogs? Tied for number one in league scoring is Nicolas Martinez. Guy to look for. Team's current form, they have also won three straight, just the same as their opponents today, a 4-0 goal differential over that stretch. Hark the kittens, they want a recap of last week's matches, and so we'll do one now. Yeah, our usual background music isn't quite as Christmassy, but that's okay. We probably don't need me singing along. Just doing the big recap action. Last week, Friday, match number one from the Cypriot First Division, Pathos versus APOEL Nicosia. We had a change in the table position between the top two as APOEL won one to two on the road. Say hello to your new league leaders in Cyprus. Match number B from the Chinese Super League. It was another top two matchup. Number one, Wuhan Three Towns played host number B, Shandong Taishan. They played to a 1-1 draw. No change in the position there. Uh, players we said that went to look for, for Wuhan, Markow had a goal, and for Shandong Taishan, it was Kryzan with an assist. Match number three, the second leg of the home and away two-legged tie from Puerto Rico, their Apertura Championship Final. Number one, Metropolitan versus number B, PR Seoul. They played to a 1-1 draw after added extra time, and then it was Metropolitan coming out on top, 4-3 to three on penalty kicks. Congratulations to the U.S. champion Santa Puerto Rico. Match number four, we didn't stray too far. Cuba's Primera División, they were having their grand final, the winners of their Apertura and Clausura stages for the 2022 year. It was Artemisa versus Santiago de Cuba. Artemisa won the second leg one to nil. That made things one to one on aggregate. And then so they went to penalty kicks and Artemisa became your champions by winning in penalty kicks five to three. Congratulations to them. Saturday, match number five, the World Cup quarterfinal between England and France. France came out on top one to two. Key players Antoine Griezmann for France had a pair of assists. And Harry Kane, he made just one of his two penalty kicks. And oh, is he regretting the other miss? Sunday, match number six from the French Division 1 Feminine. That's the ladies' top flight in France. Number one, Lyon took on number B, PSG. PSG came out on top, nil one. And they are your new league leaders. Kigal for them, one of their superstars. Uh, Kadidiato Diani had the goal. From the Libyan Premier League in Africa, number one, Al-Idiha took on number B, Abu Salim. That was in the top two in Group 2. And it was Al-Idiha defending their home turf with a 2-1 win. That knocked Abu Salim down to number three. 
Tuesday match number eight, for eight from Gibraltar's Football League. The top flight there, number B Europa took on number one Lincoln Red Imps, and it was the longtime powers, the Red Imps, prevailing in technically a home match or a road match, although they all play their matches in the same stadium there. Nil one, no change in the table positions. Wednesday match number nine from the Premier League in Iraq. We had number three Najaf traveling to number B Karaba. It was Karaba coming out on top by a couple of goals. Three to one, and they are your new league leaders now, and the Joff have been dropped down to number four. Thursday, match number 10 from the UEFA Women's Champions League group stage as it approaches its end. Number one, Arsenal took on number B, Lyon, from that group, and it was Lyon coming out on top. Nil one. No change in the positions there, but I believe Arsenal and Lyon are now tied on points, and Arsenal only lead on goal differential. And now your three bonus matches from last week with explanations to come later on this episode. Sunday, your route of the week from North Macedonia's first league. Pitted, number 11 in last place, Skopje versus number one, Struga. And surprise, surprise, we didn't have a route at all. Skopje managed a 1-1 draw at home against the league leaders. Way to go. No change in the table position for either of them. Yeah, Skopje are probably still getting relegated. The most meaningless match in the world that you voted for was a Saturday match from the second division in England, the Championship League. Number 13, Reading, played number 12, Coventry at home, and Reading came out on top one Nil. Here's how tight things are in a league with that many teams, 24 of them. That one win bounced Reading all the way up to number 8 and Coventry down to number 15. And then finally, your match of disappointed another Sunday match. This from the second division in Spain, the Segunda División. Number 22 in last place, UD Ibiza took on number 1, Ma- 21, rather, Malaga. And the result was a 1-1 draw. The match of disappointment, we could rarely actually have a winner. And as you would expect, there was no change in the table. That concludes the recap from last week's matches. Now let's get back into tracking the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. Hardly the heaviest slate of weekend matches that we've ever had you track. Nevertheless, you still get Monday off and we're back into it on Tuesday. Match number six comes from an event called the AFF Cup. It's a bit of an interesting acronym because the AFF stands for the ASEAN Football Federation. Basically, here's what you need to know. There are a handful of sub-federations within Asia's overall continental confederation, the AFC. The AFF is for the 11 nations in Southeast Asia. Nine of the teams out of the 11 automatically qualified. The bottom two in uh, the coefficients or rankings, they had to play a playoff to see who was going to be the 10th and final team. Brunei and Timor Lest went in for that playoff, and it was Brunei that came out on top, winning six to three on the home and away aggregate ties. So now you've got 10 teams divided into groups of five, single round robin. The top two from each group will get to go to the knockout round. And just a side note, this event has nothing to do with the overall Asian Cup or Asian Championships. This is not a qualifying event for anything, in fact. It is simply a standalone, and it's really important in particular for a region like this. I believe all the sub-federations have their own version of this championship, but Southeast Asia is more or less the weakest of, I believe, the five sub-federations in Asia. Your matchup, to be perfectly honest, is not necessarily going to be the most competitive. But the one that we have picked was the most interesting to us because it involves Brunei. And they are going to be playing host to number one, 
Thailand. Now, there's no, going to be no home and away two-legged tie. I believe it was a random draw to determine which of the matches in this single round robin were going to be home and which were going to be were going to be away. To be honest, this is not going to be at enough of an advantage playing at home for Brunei. So let's talk about them before they fade into irrelevancy. Brunei, they are known as the Hornets and ranked only just inside the top 200 worldwide by FIFA and also only 41 out of the 46 national teams in all of Asia. They've only ever entered the World Cup qualifications four times. Obviously, they've never made it. They've uh, gone in five times trying to qualify for the Asian Cup. Haven't managed that either. But they're giving it the old college try lately. They've gone in for the qualification stages in each of the last two event iterations. They do have some other international experience I want to talk about. 2006, they played in an event that uh, no longer exists called the AFC Challenge Cup that they said was for developing and emerging football nations. And they do define those differently. Uh, Brunei, yeah, that was an emerging football nation considered even below the developing ones. And they got to have some success. They had a two and two goal differential over their three matches, went one, one and one. And then much more recently, 2016, the event that replaced that, the Solidarity Cup, that was a tournament for teams that were specifically the ones that were losing in the very first round or two of the Asian Cup qualifiers. They got to play in that in 2016. It went 1-1-2. and two. They, I'm sure, would have participated in 2020, but it was canceled because of COVID. Now, they have won one international event that I could find record of, and that was back in 1989. They won something that is now defunct called the Borneo Cup. In fact, they've won it four times. Most recently was 89, I should have said before. It involved Brunei, Singapore, and then two states that now help comprise the nation of Malaysia that were more separate at that time. 1996 was their only appearance in this event. They went 1-0-3 and were considered to have finished in eighth place. They don't export any players, it doesn't look like, because all of their rostered players, they currently play for clubs in Brunei's top flight called the Super League. All-time leading national team scorer for them is still on the squad. He's got eight, and that is 36-year-old striker Sharazen Saeed. Yeah, not even double digits, but that's good enough to be the all-time national team leader. That tells you about the just lack of volume over overall international experience the team has really had. Team's current form, they went 1-0 in three in friendlies before the AFF qualification, including a law, and uh, one of those three losses was against Timor Leste in the home and away two-legged tie. That was the qualification stage for this event. And now your heavy favorites, pun intended, they are known as the War Elephants. They are ranked just outside the top 100 in FIFA and number one, or not number one, goodness, that would really be something, number 21 in the AFC. So just a tiny bit above average in the overall Asian rankings. Never qualified for the World Cup proper. Asian Cup, they finished as high as third in those championships, although that was way back in 1972. Now, more recently, 2019, and this was after not qualifying for two straight versions of the event, they made the round of 16. They are the event's defending champions, and they have won this event six times since 1996. Much like their counterparts for this day, every current player on the team plays for a tie club, although they do have two or three that are uh, free agents and or retired, although they don't go without exporting players in a general sense. Their captain is Tiaratan Bunmatan. Uh, 
which I'm glad I practiced saying, but I really should have just started with his nickname. He goes by Alm, A-U-M. Plays left back, some defensive midfielder, plays for a very good club over in uh, Thai League One, Borough Ram United. And this is a guy who has played in a better league abroad and with success. He played in the J1 League Japan with Yokohama F. Marinos a few years back, including the year that they won the J League. And then they've got a recent call-up. I don't know if he has been made available or even been called up for this specific event or not. I hope so. It's a guy that's currently in the Leicester City system, 22-year-old midfielder named Tanawat Swing Chittawan. He came up originally with Nancy over in France's League 2. He moved there when he was very, very young. So they exported him, but really not in his adult. He's been there, I think, since his late pre-team years. He has played for the Leicester City under-23 team, I think with some regularity. And then I did read that he didn't get to play, but he got a great seat last April, uh, 2021, I should say, against Man City. He was on the bench for a senior team appearance. Team's current form, they are 2-0-2 in their last four across all competitions and friendlies. And that included a friendly against, from our very own region, Trinidad and Tobago. They came here and beat them 1-2. Match number seven. Your other Tuesday match comes from... Not exactly the most popular part of the world when it comes from the Western perspective, but we care about the football everywhere. So say hello to the Iranian Persian Gulf Pro League. Now, despite the name, it really is only teams from Iran. This is the fifth best league in all of AFC. They get three teams into the Champions League. And they're just a little bit over one-third of the way through the season. And your match is a classic. Number B, Estaglal versus number one, Persepolis. Persepolis currently lead Estaglal by two in the table. Estaglal, in turn, lead number three, Golgahar, by one. And that's all you're going to find out from me about the match for this particular part of the podcast. But we're not done with Iran. This is roughly the time of podcast where noobs tumbly starts to get a little rumbly, if you will. I get hungry and we're going to talk about a recipe so that I can pretend I'm eating food or think about what I'd like to make for myself. We are going to look at what is oft considered the national dish of in all of Iran. Uh, I was talking to he who is known as the management, the producer and editor for this show earlier during the week during the World Cup, and mentioned to him that I thought the Moroccan side was going to equalize in the second half with a goal from Gourmet Sabzi. I don't know if he didn't uh, know and therefore recognize that that was the name of a food and not a Moroccan player, or if he just wasn't prepared to humor with humor me about it. I'm prepared to go with the latter, but that is the name of it. Now, here's a quick list of the ingredients you're going to need for this particular recipe. Uh, green onions. You're going to uh, chop off all the greenish parts, though. You're going to want parsley, cilantro. You can include some spinach if you want. I surely would. I love it and so healthy. You're also going to get a whole medium onion, and you're going to finally chop that. Salt, pepper, turmeric, and then uh, one, or if you really like this flavor, you can get more if you're making a larger portion of limu omani, which is dried lime. It is not a different type of a lime. Basically, it is a very darkened, sun-dried lime that will give a very bitter, very sour, and just a little bit of a smoky taste to this dish. You're also going to want some Lumu Amani powder, plus lemon juice, a cup of uh, dry kidney beans, 
by the way, you're going to want to pre-soak those. That's standard for a lot of the dishes I've seen that find those. And then, unless you want a vegetarian version, you don't have to add meat. But they suggest about a half a pound if you're making it for a group of four. Uh, typically, lamb gets used. You might use beef. Obviously, pork is the big no-no. And shambhalale, which, don't be confused by the name, you would know it as fenugreek leaves. And now the how-to. Saute up those chopped onions in oil until they are slightly changing their color. And then you have your stew meat that's been cut into smaller pieces, cubed most likely. Add the meat in and stir, and then add in your salt, pepper, turmeric powder. Then the chopped up greens, saute them for a little bit with the meat. Uh, by the way, many Persian recipes in general require vast amounts of oil. Uh, you'll even find that the greens get sauteed. Uh, you don't have to necessarily do that. You can uh, kind of pick and choose how much oil you want to put in there, and you'll be just fine. It's just going to affect how long you're going to make the overall recipe. Now, after a minute or two of the greens being mixed in with the meat, you're going to add in a bunch of water. And that is when you will add in that key ingredient, the lilu amane, the uh, dark wine powder. And then your kidney beans, the lemon juice, and then just a little bit of that fenugreek, the shambhalale, maybe a teaspoon worth for a standard size recipe. You're going to uh, cook this in a pot on medium heat, but towards the very end, uh, whatever your recipe says for how long you need to cook it, take the temperature down towards the very, very end. Let it get to the point where the greens are cooked, but the stew isn't too watery. And then I forget the name of this, and I wish I made a note of it, but you're going to serve this with crunchy rice. It's not my favorite way to enjoy rice. I don't like the texture, but if you want to be traditional about it, this is what the way you're going to want to go. Imagine a rice pilaf with the long grain stuff, but you're going to cook it at a fairly high temperature for a very short time. So the bottom is scorched, but the top for aesthetics still uh, looks like just kind of quote-unquote ordinary rice pilaf. And then you will have the national dish of gorma sabzi in hand. Enjoy. Match number eight. I believe I said your other Tuesday match for the Iranian one, but we actually do have one more. Match number eight comes to us from the EFL Cup over in England, the English Football League. They're in their fourth round, which is basically the round of 16. Now, this is not the FA Knockout Cup. This is a different kind. This is for teams just from the first through fourth tiers. It's considered to be not quite as important as the FA Cup, but the winner, and I think this is the only country in the world that does this with their tertiary tournament of importance, League FA Cup, and then something like this, a League Cup, their team will get a berth into the Europa Conference League. The matchup we chose to look at, two Premier League sides. For the FA Cup, we go minnow fishing. For this, we're going to do the opposite and just look for an interesting matchup of fairly top teams. Newcastle, and they uh, drew randomly to see who would be at home. It is them, and they are taking on the Fighting Cherries, our favorites here, of AFC Bournemouth. That's always been our adopted team. I think I have family and lineage in that general part of England. South Coast is the best coast. Your series between these two, recent seasons, Newcastle have had a slight advantage with a 4-3-2 and record. Newcastle hosted them earlier this season in Premier League play and only got a 1-1 draw. Newcastle, Newcastle on Tyne is in the northeast part of the country, 300,000 people strong. Historically, a shipbuilding and ship repair city. 
Something more interesting, modernly, they have something there called the Center for Life, which is the first biotech village in the UK. Now, this is all businesses. I don't believe there's any residential portion to it. So don't mistake that word village unless unless I'm mistaken, but I don't think so. And they plan to expand it or they're using this as a model to make the whole city sort of a very science-centric city in terms of their production and economy. Now, to the footy, they are known as the Magpies. Most famously, if you know anything about this club, even if you're not a huge footy fan and you're just kind of learning about the sport like us, you may have caught in the news that just within the last couple of years, this team was bought by basically the nation of Saudi Arabia. Not a country within it, but pretty much the nation itself. I think they call it the Sovereign Wealth Fund or something. The team has won four league titles, but they are nearly a century removed from their halcyon days, having won one since 1926-27. But they did win the EFL championship twice uh, in the last decade, the 2010s. They finished in second place in this event once back in 1975-76, best they have ever done. Now, with the influx of that Saudi money, they have really been able to upgrade their talent. Currently in the Premier League, they are going to... Uh, they're occupying a Champions League burst slot. The top four get to go, and they are in third place. The offense is pretty good, top four, but the defense is where their bread is really getting buttered. They are tied for number one in that regard. They've only given up 11 goals in 15 matches. Good for the overall third best goal differential. Now, the scoring they're getting, and this will be a familiar name to MLS fans, number six in league scoring with eight on the year is Miguel Amarone, Paraguayan attacking midfielder. Yeah, the same one that played for Atlanta United during their very successful streak of years between 16 and 2019. And then we can't ignore the defensive side, of course. Tied for number one in goalkeeping, at least in terms of clean sheets, is Nick Pope. He's got seven of those. He spent the heart of his career with Burnley, who are now down in the championship, and then came over here this year. They had to sell him off, I'm sure uh, Burnley did, for cost-cutting purposes. But I'm not sure he's their best overall player, although we're still going to look at the defensive side. Uh, Kieri and Trippia, their right back, one goal and three assists on the year, but just, he is an all-around defensive whiz. Interceptions, clearances, and an astounding 76% tackle rate. They entered this event in the second qualifying round. The third qualifying round, they beat Crystal Palace 0-0, 3-2 on penalty kicks. Team's current form, 9-3-0 in their last dozen. Bournemouth, they've got a tough road to hoe here. They actually don't play in Bournemouth proper. They play in a suburb in the east called Boscombe of about 20,000. Bournemouth is a resort town, about 200,000. A lot of people make fun of them basically for being a really big retirement villages. Maybe uh, maybe they're the, the villages Florida of the UK or vice versa. I don't know. South Coast, they are known as the Cherries. They've only been a top flight team on and off the last several years. They first got brought up by Eddie Howe, who interestingly is now with Newcastle as their coach. They too entered this event in the second qualifying round. They're only in 14th place in the Premier League. The offense is bordering on average, but the defense, especially late in games, has been a serious issue. They're the only team, by the way, giving up more than two goals per match in league play. On the assist leaderboard in league play is Marcus uh, Tavernier, 
He's got four on the season, 23-year-old midfielder who spent his career with Middlesbrough, a uh, championship-level side. Team's current form, they have won two straight matches, one in league play, one in this event, and both were over Everton. Match number nine. Onward to Wednesday and back to Central America we go, but this time not for a league playoff championship, a championship of a different kind. We're headed to Costa Rica for their FA Cup final. Now, this does not qualify the champion to any sort of international tournament. CONCACAF does not have an equivalent to, say, the Europa League. But still, as a standalone tournament, this is the second most important thing in the country. It's in our region, region, and therefore it is on our radar. Now, it's a home-and-away two-legged tie. Wednesday is going to be leg two. Because leg one is Friday, that means we don't know the score of that one at the time of recording. This league, by the way, the top league from which both teams are from, the finalists in Costa Rica, the Primera División, is considered the fourth-ranked league in all of CONCACAF. It's been number three for a long time, and if you go back probably only 15, 20 years, uh, you'd find that it was second best and maybe not that far off the mark from Mexico. Now, your finalists are Cartaginés taking on Herediano. Cartaginés, they play out of the city of Cartago, which is in the central part of the country, about 200,000 people. Despite its size, it's really largely a commuter city to the capital, San Jose, which is about a half hour to the northwest. I never could find the why of it, but they are known as the Foggers. They won what is now the CONCACAF Champions League back in 1994. So this is a team with a history of success. And then more recently as well, they won the 2022 Clausura stage. That, however, was their first league title of any kind in 82 years. That is almost a Chicago Cubs-like drought. This particular event they have won five times, most recently 2015. 2022-23 Apertura stage. They finished in last place of the six clubs in their group, Group B. They weren't the worst team overall, I don't believe. But, you know, bad enough that it's surprising that they made the final here. Their defense was pretty average. The offense a little bit above average, to be perfectly honest. And their goal differential was third best in the league. So uh, this is a team that if they could just get over the hump, could have finished at least a little bit more towards the middle of the pack. Team scoring leader from League Play with Four was Michael Barantes, midfielder, 39 years old. Interestingly, he spent several early years in his career with Alessund in Norway. And then also tied with him at four goals is Marcel Hernandez from Cuba, another veteran, 33 years old. Team's current form, they have won three straight matches and they are unbeaten in their last six. But now coming to town, Herediano, they play in the central part of the country. And that's about uh, 10 miles north of San Jose. So they're on the opposite part of the major metro area. It's a city of about 20,000, and they are known as the florists. Must be awfully pretty and beautiful smelling there, hopefully. 29 league titles, and plenty of those have been recently. Not really sure about FA Cup finishes. I couldn't find anything for them in that particular regard. They won the CONCACAF League in 2018, and so you would have also been used to seeing them in the CONCACAF Champions League as well. In the regular season this year, league play, they won Group A, and they had the most overall points in the league between the two groups. In fact, they went undefeated. Number one offense by lots, over two goals per match, well over two, in fact, and 
the defense, they were number one in that regard, gave up less than a goal per match, but that's somewhat standard for the top teams in that particular league. But they had the number one overall goal differential by a factor of three. And almost no matter how League One turned out, especially given that it was in Herediano, they're going to be heavy favorites to win this particular title. Tied for number four in league scoring for them, possible man of the match candidate, Arturo Campos, who plays midfielder for them. Team's current form, they are 5-2-0 and oh in their last seven. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! Yes, daughter dearest, finally. And yet, not really at all, because we still have our three super cool bonus matches to come after this. But first, one more match mini preview for our main 10, rounding it out, another Wednesday match. This time we're headed to Albania. The top flight is the Categoria Superior. It is just the number 49th ranked league in all of UEFA. They're about a third of the way through the season there. And by golly, we don't care how far down the coefficient they are. They're only about six from the bottom. We left to follow the game everywhere because there are fans right there and it's important to them and to these teams. And the winner does get to go to the Champions League after all. Your matchup, number one, Tirana, taking on number B, Partizani. Tirani currently lead Partizani by two in the table. Partizani, in turn, lead a pair of teams by two points. When they played earlier this season, it was Tirana that came out on top on the road, nil two. And their recent series, uh, the last few seasons, they've recruited a six, four, and three record. Tirana, uh, they are your league powerhouse. 26 league titles. That's the most in the nation's history. And they are your defending champions. 2020-21 season, after a bye, they got to the Europa playoff round. And they did have to win a couple games before that. That is the best they have ever done. Almost made the group stage of a European competition. This year, they lost in the Champions League first round and then got to drop down to the Europa Conference League second qualifying round. Unfortunately for them, they lost both times. This year in league play, they've got the number one offense by a lot, getting one and three quarters goals per match. That's pretty good, but the fact that that's number one by a lot tells you that this isn't really a super high-scoring league. They've only given up eight goals in the 13 matches, and yet they're only second best on defense. Overall, though, number one goal differential by two and a half times as much as anybody else. These are your heavy, heavy favorites. They've got the number one league scorer on their side. He's got 11 goals, and that is Radon Shisha. You spell that with a couple of XHs in there. Goodness, I love trying to figure out Albanian pronunciations, but I'm getting better. He plays left winger for them. Team's current form, 4-1-0 in their last five. Then Partizani, they also play out of the capital city of Toronto and are known as the Red Bulls. Now, don't be mistaken, they are, or at least aren't yet, who knows what the future holds, a part of the Red Bull conglomerate of athletic teams, much like uh, Red Bull Leipzig over in Germany, Germany or Red Bull, uh, New York Red Bulls right here in the U.S. They are not part of that. Historically, actually, this is an army-based club or affiliated club. They've won the league title 16 different times, and the most recent one was, in fact, fairly recent, 2018-19, but that was their first one in a quarter century. I do want to point out that they have one international title to their credit. All the way back in 1970, they won something called the Balkans Cup, so a regional international tournament. 2016-17, they made the Champions League third qualifying round easily the best that they have ever done, maybe even any team from this country pretty good chance. Last year, they finished in third place. This year, they're the team uh, that is pretty good on offense and yet not so much. They've got the second best, but that's only one and a third goals per match. 
I hope you like their defense. This league is full of it, although not necessarily this team. They're one of only three or four teams that actually give up more than a goal per game. They're ranked number eight in that regard. Third best goal differential overall. I think they're going to be hard-pressed to get a result here on the road, but I'm sure choosing to disagree with me were he to hear this would be the second-best scorer in the league. He's found the back of the net eight times, and that's Giuliano Scuca, another XH to start off that name. He plays center forward for them. Team's current form, though, 1-1-2, and two, although they are 1-1-0 one, one and oh in just their last two matches. Bring forth the bonus matches! And now perhaps my favorite part of the show, the bonus matches because you, the audience, have had a chance to say precisely what the content was going to be. How so? Well, every week, usually on Monday or Tuesday, as Soccer Noob USA on Twitter, I put up polls with the candidate matches for all three of these games. You vote and the dreamy process ensues. The first one is a first versus last place matchup that we dramatically call the route, 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 route of, of. Of, of, the week, 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 week. And that which you have selected is a Thursday match from Ethiopia's Premier League. It is unranked within the African Football Confederation, which basically means it's not in the top, oh, 50%. They, they rank only roughly half of them for some reason. Uh, still, the winner does get to go to the Champions League. On the other end of the table, two teams are going to get relegated, kicked out, and down to the fresh hell that I'm certain is the second division in the Premier League in Ethiopia. They're about a third of the way through the season there. They're pretty much following the Western European schedule. Your matchup is number 16 in last place, Legitafo Legadadi. I'm not sure about the hard and soft Gs there, but still a really cool name. They are playing host to number one, Kitas Georgis, or as we will simply refer to them translated in English as St. George. Right now, uh, Legitafo, they trailed number 14, Sidima Buna, by six. Now, what that means is number 14 is the lowest spot in the table that represents a position outside the relegation zone. Meanwhile, St. George, they are tied on points with the table with not one but two other teams, Barhardar and Ethiopian Medine. We'll start with Legitafo. They are one of six teams that play in the capital city of Addis Abeba. I believe that is the full name of the city as well as the club, and it's actually outside of the city proper. It's not a district or a neighborhood, but uh, more of a city that is outside the city metro. This is either a brand new club or I suspect this is more likely newly promoted. In my brief research, I did not find uh, any recent record of them in the top flight. They've got just one win and two draws on the years for their points. The problem, well, problems. It's everything. It's the football, quite frankly. They're tied for worst on offense. They've only scored six goals in 10 matches, but they've got the worst defense as well. They've given up two and a quarter per game. Team's current form, oh, one and seven in their last eight. Not a lot of hope for them other than that because they're getting to play host. Meanwhile, St. George, another one of the capital city teams, and they are known as the Horsemen. They are also the first club that was ever formed during this nation. The history is really interesting to me. They were formed during the fascist uh, period of the Italian invasion, and they they were formed to play some of the well-funded Italian teams that were formed, or maybe just a singular team, 
But regardless, any time that the St. George team won, basically the players were, would all get beaten by the Arada, which is essentially the police force that Italy was providing there at the time. This team is your historic powerhouse. 30 league titles. They are the defending champions as well. 2017 in the Champions League, they made the group stage. They've never gotten beyond that, though. This year, they've got the top offense and defense going. They're getting over two goals per match. Goal differential is the best by just over a factor of two in this league. I don't want to say they're sliding, but they haven't been winning half of their games lately. They are 2-4-0 in their last six. The offense is what's slipping a little bit. They, or I'm sorry, the defense has been what's keeping them afloat. They haven't conceded a single goal in their last four matches. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. (laughs) Nobody else is probably talking about them every single week, but we serenade them with song. Two teams smack dab in the middle of their table. Welcome to the most meaningless match in the world. You selected a Wednesday match from... Jamaica. That is the number 13 ranked league in all of CACAF region, according to Kick Algorithms, a site that I really know and trust for that. And they're considered the fourth best in the Caribbean, and that's if you're including Puerto Rico. The top six teams from this league are going to make the playoffs, and the top two of those will get buys. It's very early in the season there. So in a way, this is a meaningless match, and in a way, it is not. Probably the top two teams will get to move on to whatever CONCACAF has planned for Central American and Caribbean teams in terms of international play starting next year. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but these are two teams that are right on the edge of the league playoffs. Number seven, Portmore, and they will be inviting in number eight, Dunbeholden. They are part of a three-way tie essentially for sixth through eighth place with Humble Lions, another club name. Portmore, they were founded in 1985 as Hazard FC. They currently play in Spanish Town. Now, Portmore is a dormitory community that's about uh, eight miles away from there and also Kingston. It's on the south-southeast coast, about 15 miles, I should say, yes, 15 miles southwest of Kingston and about eight miles from Spanish Town. It's all part of the same general area. Very interestingly, despite being on the coast, this isn't something that's marketing as a marketed as a tourist destination. It's a dormitory community or essentially a commuter city, but not exactly a small one. I think they've got a couple hundred thousand people there. Footy-wise, they've won the league title seven times, most recently 2018-19. Twice they have won the Caribbean Club Championship, which was one of two tournaments for teams from the Caribbean region. The championship, which they've won their titles in, is for the handful of countries that actually play professional or semi-professional football, as opposed to the former tournament, the Caribbean Club Shield, which was all smaller amateur teams, leagues, and countries. And they won that most recently in 2019. Last year, ooh, did they struggle. They almost got relegated, finishing 10th out of 12 teams. This year, the league has 14 teams, by the way. They are undefeated so far, 1-4-0 on the season. Kind of a strange record. Undefeated and yet in the most meaningless match. That has got to be a first for this show. Offense has been the real struggle for them. They are tied for 11th best is all in that regard. They've only scored three goals on the season, but they've got the number one defense going. So overall, their goal differential lies right in the middle. Team's current form, they just got their first win, and that was over number 12, Chapleton. 
and now Dunbeholden. They've got a really interesting crest. I couldn't find out what the word or name Dunbeholden meant, although something that I found online that then oddly disappeared on me seemed to indicate that that might also be a city, town, or region in Scotland. I wonder if the crest has anything to do with that area or with the name. It's divided into two. One half has a soccer ball on it against, I believe, a solid color background. The other half of it shows a kind of a close-up drawing of a pair of uh, praying hands, if you will, clasped together slightly. And it's clear that the person wearing them, uh, that whose, to whose hands they belong is wearing a robe. So it seems kind of religious. Last year, they finished in second place in the league, five points behind Waterhouse. By the way, they also play in Spanish Town, same stadium, which is called Prison Oval. Uh, this is a team that probably doesn't have much hope, in my opinion, to climb out. That's not really the same for Portmore. If they could shore up their weakness, they might be pretty darn good. But Dunbeholden, uh, they're barely above average on offense, getting just over a goal per match. And then their defense is a little bit worse ordinarily. They've got the eighth best goal differential. Their goal differential is, in fact, zero. Perfectly meaningless, as it were. This team's current form, well, they just won at number 14, Tivoli Gardens, to snap a two-match losing streak. Appropriate, is it not, that this final bonus match is match number 13. Oh, so ominous. That's because it pits two sad sack bottom feeders, a pair of cellar dwellers, if you will. This is the match of... Disappointed! And that one that you have selected to catch the business from us, our bile and vitriol, is a Sunday match from the Premier League of Israel. The league's not too bad. It is 20th ranked out of all the ones in Europe. Yes, I know they're in Asia, but they play in UEFA. Two out of the 14 teams are going to get relegated. We're not even going to talk about where their winners and runners-up will go because these two teams aren't going to catch a sniff. They're about halfway through the season. Say hello and shake your mighty fists at number 14, Hapoel Ironi Kiryat Shmona. They are playing hosted number 13, Sextia Nesciona. Boy, that's a mouthful to say. I should have just called them uh, Hey You or Chief and then Bub for the other one. You're in the match. You're disappointed. You don't deserve our respect. Nevertheless, I will try to say the names. Now, uh, Nesciona, which is the name of the city, they lead Shmona by two in the table and trail number 12, Hepewell Haifa by one. If they can get that far, they're out of the relegation zone. These two teams, to be perfectly honest, aren't that far off the mark. Shmona, they won earlier this season on the road, nil two. And I think we're going to find that's the only win they have. The recent series between these two, they haven't played that often. Shmona have a 3-0-1 record. And we will address them first. Kiryat Shmona is the full name of the town, and it translates to Town of the Eight. Well, what eight exactly? It's named for eight people who died uh, defending what at the time in this general area was a northern Galilean settlement against Arabs back in 1920. It is the northernmost city in the entire nation, has maybe about 25,000 people. It's right on the Lebanese border, but very interestingly, there's a heavy Moroccan Jewish population here. The club, it was founded in 2000. Last year, you would have been more likely to find them in a most meaningless match. They finished in seventh place. They've even won the league title once. Oh, so long ago, it must seem to them, 2011-2012. The next year, they actually advanced all the way to the playoff round of the Champions League. 
Then they finished last in the Europa League group stage. And I guess after those losses, they said, you know what? That's too much hard work. We're just going to start stinking, or at least this year. 2015-16 was actually the last European European appearance they made. They entered the Europa League and lost in the third qualifying round. The offense, really, really bad. They're not even managing a goal per match. The defense, slightly better. They're not quite giving up one and a half goals per game, but that still has them well in the bottom half of the league, number nine. Their goal differential matches that. This is a team that could climb a little bit, but I think they're going to be in the battle to try to avoid relegation all season long. The number six scorer in the league is theirs to boast of, though. One little ray of hope. He's got six on the season, and that's 24-year-old attacker Itamar Shaviro. He's been loaded out to Hapoa Bear Sheva before, which are currently third place in the league, and oh, how I'll bet he wishes that he could head back there again. Team's current form. Again, as I mentioned, that team that when they got over Shimona, or not Shimona, but uh, rather Sexia, Nesciona was their only win of the season. They got to start the year with it. Their only other match that they've won this year was two matches ago in the country's tertiary cup tournament, the Toto Cup. And now Nesciona, that translates to meaning banner to Zion. I never did quite figure out for sure what Sexia meant, but I one thing I found from a different language seems to indicate that it has something to do with a section. So I have a feeling that it's related along those lines. The city is in the central part of the country, has a bit over 50,000 people there. And despite the fact that the description I said, this uh, said it's a secret one, the most uh, unique part about this town is that they are the host to the Israeli Institute for Biological Research. It's a defense research institute that works in chemical and biological research. Probably some weaponry there because it's very directly government related and they at least think that it's a secret or did at one point. Yikes. Club was founded in 1955 and then had to be refounded in 2005. They had folded uh, during or after the 2000-2001 season because they were supposed to be going down to the third tier and they weren't even estimating that they had the budget to do that. Wow. Last year, they finished in second place in the Liga Lumet, which is the second division in Israel, and thusly they were promoted. But we accept no excuses here, do we, person noob? You still stink, and you need to be doing better. This year, they are tied for 11th on offense, uh, tied for number 10 on defense. There's just not a lot of hope for this club to get out of there. They are right there in the bottom three for uh, goal differential. Maybe they could climb up as high as second to last place, but it looks dubious, to be honest. Team leading scorer has just three on the year, and that is Levon Catalia. He plays out of the Republic of Georgia, 33 years old. He was rostered for their national team, actually, in 2011, but he never made any appearances. Also with three goals on the year, by the way, is Almag Buzaglo. So interesting. I almost picked, uh, I almost named person noob Almag. Okay, that's not true. I did not name her Almog, or almost. Yikes. It's her middle name. Team's current form. Uh, they lost their first four of the season. They are 2-0-3 across all competitions in their last five, and those two wins were in cup competitions, which are considered nearly as important in this nation, with an 8-6 and six goal differential over that stretch. So, two really, really bad teams, We will not wish them good luck, the same as we do to all the other ones that we visited this podcast. Thank you for 
so much for existing and being part of our show. But as far as you two Israeli, Israeli putrid clubs, we will shoo you away and heckle you in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. And that is all she wrote for episode number 114 of Soccer Noob Rock in America. Thank you so much to my daughter, Person Noob. Mwah. I loved your bit on the Penguins. I was happy to help you with that. And I always have so much fun doing this show with you. Also, my gratitude to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry. To Dan the Interno Inferno, whose creative efforts and inspirations are always on fire for this program. And to you, the listener. Thank you so much for finding us. We've worked really hard to create a niche little podcast that's been uh, best described perhaps by multiple folks as a nice change of pace podcast compared to a lot of the other soccer slash football stuff that is out there. If you've enjoyed it, we hope that you will pass our name along to your footy-minded friends. Until we can do it again in a few days, please have yourselves a fabulous footy week. Take care. 